advertising can still be a good business. Forbes, for instance, is still seeing double-digit growth in its digital ad business. That's according to CRO Mark Howard. Its growth has been buoyed by an ideas-led sales approach that ties together the many Forbes products. I'm Brian Marcy. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. This week, Mark and I talk about what else? Revenue diversification and what that means for Forbes and why a paywall isn't right for a publisher that still believes in the benefits of scale. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. You were on uh, the Digiday Podcast in its earlier years. I think it was a couple years ago. That's right. Thanks for having me back. So lots happened since then. Um, terrible times for magazine companies like Forbes. I mean, how bad is it? Not so bad. <laughs> Not <laughs> so bad. We, uh, But no, seriously, we do hear a lot, um, and we write about a lot, about some of the struggles. Uh, you know, in the broader media industry right now, there's a lot of threats out there. Yep. Um, there's a lot of focus on revenue diversification now because of the weaknesses in advertising. And then on top of that, there is a lot of challenges at places like Conde and other places that have these, these magazine um, legacies. Yeah. Explain why Forbes is different from all of this drumbeat of bad news. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we got a little ahead of this thing, which is great. We had the vision quite a while ago. I would almost go back to 2010 to be the year where we really started on the path that we're, we're still on, which is a very aggressive revenue diversification strategy. It became very clear coming out of the global recession to us, single title media, media company, the magazine had been really the driver of most of the revenues for all of those years. When we saw the hit that happened in 2008, 2009, to us, we had also been growing our digital business. We had had a standalone business, Forbes.com. It was separate from Forbes magazine. The recession forced us to merge the two companies. And me coming from the digital side and several of the others who were already keenly aware of what the digital ecosystem represented, the rapid growth. We all had the Mary Meeker slides. We pointed to that delta and said, that's our opportunity. I love that slide. It's my favorite slide, Mark. I, I always know, reference it. I know. And, and we continue to reference as we get into new businesses, and she continues to find those deltas, <laughs> what those opportunities are. But 2010 was really the a, a first year where we started making some major strides in this diversification play. It was the first year that we had a brand publish a piece of branded content. November will be nine years. Who was, since it? was it SAP? It was SAP. Oh my God. And they're still publishing. We did publishing. not prepare for this, everyone. What a sad, <laughs> sad fact that I know. That's great that you know. <laughs> and they've never stopped in the nine years. They've been an unbelievable partner. But at that time, it was unheard of, especially in the business finance space, for a brand to publish content into the CMS and to flow through the yeah. editorial streams. And now it's 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 fairly, everyone's got a content studio, everyone's got some kind of native advertising. That's right. So it's it's pretty pretty accepted at this point. It, it is, and, and there's lots of conversation in the media space now about has that even plateaued? Yeah. And there's challenges around that. Everything everything is commoditized. But you guys were also very big into events. I mean, a lot of people you know, are now coming on here and talking about their events. They might call it experiential or something. But um, explain how you guys look at revenue diversification, because there's diversification from from print to digital, but there's also d diversification from, from advertising into non-advertising streams. For some people, it's direct consumer revenue. Uh, for Forbes, is a little different. So explain how you look at the buckets. That's right. So so right now, the, the areas that I oversee, we've obviously got the print, 
the digital. Digital comprises of direct soul, that's the programmatic, now programmatic guarantee, which we can touch on, mm-hmm. is, is a real source of uh, growth for us at the moment. Um, the branded content business, we made a big move this year where we have a custom research department we call Forbes Insights. It's almost like a mini Gartner that sits with inside of Forbes. That in our brand voice groups, because those are content solutions teams where we had separate sales units, separate operations teams, separate um, content creation teams, we've now merged that. And that has been a, a really big win for us this year and addresses some of the challenges for that the marketplace is experiencing on branded content. It's still a very big growth business for us this year. One of our highlights, the live business, as you referenced, we've been doing it for many, many years. Last you guys do like an insane number of events, don't you? Last year, we did 40 Forbes branded events around the world. But then when you factor in all the custom events that we yeah. do, it was about 200. Right. That's the insane number. 40, I'm like, yeah, like Digiday, so. I'm like, come on. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> it's the 200. And look, we've got a, a lot of different ways that we do that. And those events can range from dinner series around the country to we have a venue here in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue that we call Forbes on Fifth. And we do a lot of events for breakfast through custom dinners to 200 plus people mm-hmm. parties. So you don't we, have the yacht anymore though. We do not. We Sucks. traded in the yacht for our <laughs> spot on fifth Avenue, but you've got to see it. It's, it's a beautiful venue. People are blown away. Um, like any cool spot in New York, it's got a discreet door. So when you're walking okay. down the street, you almost don't know that that's Forbes and then you walk in and it's a, it's an amazing venue. Okay. Well, I, I'm looking forward to my invite to yeah. actually see it. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk numbers though. Yep. What, I, I, put some numbers on these buckets, please. Yeah. I know, I know you guys are private. Yeah, we're private. On, but let's, and, I'm not um, looking for exact revenue, but like, what's the breakdown? Yeah. So digital still is the workhorse for us. Uh, as I mentioned, 20- Digital, that's ads? Digital ads. Okay. Yeah. Ads. So 2013, digital surpassed print. Now when you do the roll up of digital display, direct sold, programmatic sold, programmatic guarantee, and our digital brand voice offering, that is about 60, almost 65% of the total revenue mix. Mm-hmm. So it's still doing very, very well for us. It's still a growth. It's a double-digit growth business. And we continue to see a lot of strength this year so far through the first half. Mm-hmm. The numbers are hitting hitting the numbers, exceeding the numbers even, that we set out for ourselves. And, and we're doing quite well. So that's 65%. What's the rest? The rest is is The rest is the makeup is of live, yeah. the custom research business and the print business. And then now, what we're also working on, we moved this year one of our top executives, Tom Davis, into a new role of chief growth officer. And sort of that innovator's dilemma, innovator's solution, what do you do to make sure that you don't get disrupted? Tom has now built a growth team and he's standing up in new businesses. He's planting seeds this year where on a go forward basis, starting in 2020, the expectation is that Programs, products, businesses that we can launch from that growth team will represent at least 10% of the total revenue mix. And that will happen. The so goal- what kind of things would that be? Yeah. So the first thing that we launched was actually what we're calling a direct-to-entrepreneur video, uh, video product. It's a monthly subscription product 
we've launched it. And the reason why you're looking at me like I've not heard of this is because no, I, was, <laughs> I was debating whether I was going to call it DTE or not. I like know. the DTE because <laughs> it is. It's uh, selling to entrepreneurs, selling a subscription to a video product that's all about entrepreneurship to help them at various like stages of their journey. Kind of. Yeah, it is. It's exactly right. Um, and so what we've done, we have a great partner, a tech partner, a distribution partner, who's actually helping us bring it out in Africa via relationships with all the telcos. And it's going to begin to become OEM'd through a lot of the telcos over there. There's a huge movement over there. So people yeah. kind of wonder why. There's a huge movement to entrepreneurship. They've discovered it. They realize that that's a path to better life, economic prosperity. But even more so, impact, impact on communities, impact on employment. And so for us, for Forbes, it's a great brand synergy. It's a great market. But being realistic, and I know you're going to ask, it's a very competitive market in the U.S. to come out with a streaming video subscription product. Okay. We get that. You have to have a really good product for people to pay for it. It's a competitive space. We're, we've already got about 250 hours of content into this app. We're working with content creators, original content mm -hmm. creators. So far, we've got a half a dozen of Forbes 30 under 30 list makers creating original content to go into the app. Is All this like content. practical content or is this like, yeah. I, I have a term that I'm trying to, to trademark. It's entrepreneurography. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the sort of like, you know, the, the, the tweets you see about the struggle and the grind and, and yeah. the hustle and whatnot. But yeah, so all the content. There's that and then there's like, you know, figuring out accounts payable. That's right. So all of the, right. There's fundraising. Two buckets. Like there's the very practical part of like, you know, running a business, but then there's this sort of mystical part that sort of is like quasi self-help, quasi influencer. Yep. Yeah, and so you know, we'll get you a subscription. I'll give you a courtesy subscription to the uh, to the app so you can see it. But it, it is intended to align with whether it's Inspire, whether it's growth, whether it's impact. The question about is it practical? All the content we already had in our library, it just needed to be recut to have a different format. We needed to create it in a different environment. And we leverage all the content from our Forbes events. So we have video crews at all the events, capturing all okay. the video. And then we pick and choose from those events which pieces of the content will also go into the app. Yeah. So between so that- So is this a way of making money off of stuff you're already doing? I mean, because that the is the magic idea. of media. The, the magic of media is being able to like cut stuff up again and make money off of it. Whether it's like taking stuff for right. for one geography and making money off it in a different way in a different market or- That's exactly right. Okay. So everything that we have in there at launch, we already had. And yeah. it was literally repackaging it and putting it into this environment, having a strong tech platform behind it and taking it out. Okay. That's the first business that this growth unit has launched. And there are several mm -hmm. others that they so are now. So this is like your skunk works kind that's of exactly right. sort of thing. Yeah. Well, by the way, just where does licensing fit in, in this? Because you guys yeah. are big license, yes. license company. So licensing, there's many different form factors. Uh, first, and what we've been doing for long time is licensing through local media companies and different companies, yeah. Forbes, for them to publish a local language edition. Forbes Japan. I, yep. Yeah. Forbes Japan is big. That's it. And we're in 18 or 19 countries around uh, Asia. We're in, I think, almost the same in Europe. We have several in Africa, um, some in Latin and South America. So it's, I think it's 41 at present count with several more in the hopper for this year. 
that then with those 41 partners goes into 70 countries. So Forbes is truly global. There's very few places you would go where you wouldn't see a localized version. Uh, and it's a great it's a great way for mm-hmm. us and our brand to continue to have a, a global footprint and, a, and be able to have an authority. Yeah. Are you still doing like the shopping centers and stuff? No. <laughs> not, not that <laughs> Wasn't <I'm> there, <laughs> I, I thought there was like good, like office towers in Manila and stuff. Well, yeah. So so that deal did Can happen a while that? ago. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know the status of that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to check it in. Yeah, I'll I'm check gonna, it I'm going to go, go not, over to Manila and do some investigative reporting. Yeah, let, let me know. Um, so within the digital ads business, explain why this is still a growth business. Because I would think that it's pretty challenged. I mean, we write all the time about Google and Facebook, you know, yep. vacuuming up all of the the ad dollars and it's a challenged business. And I can understand on the other side, the programmatic stuff will, will grow. Uh, there's definitely a move to premium programmatic as all the, the sort of grotesque environments get exposed. Um, and I understand, you know, you guys were early in, in brand voice, but that stuff gets commoditized too. So, so where is the growth happening within digital ads? Yeah. So one of the ways that we've really seen a big uptick is that notion of idea-based selling and how do you create big sponsorable packages? The first thing that we have, which wait, is- wait, What does idea-based selling mean? So it's, it's how do we can work with a brand- best Mm -hmm. understand what they're trying to communicate, the audiences that they're looking for, and coming up with a program that satisfies what they what they need, the environments that they want to create and be associated with, and the audiences that they want to be in front of. And I'll give you a great example. Mm -hmm. Yesterday we launched a program in partnership with a company called Teradata called Forbes Analytics Plus. The idea is they're working with us to create three issues, digital issues that will also play out across all of our other platforms, live, print, Mm -hmm. uh, video. Um, We're going to do research around it. So we've built this strategy for a year-long program where there'll be three three issues, three real tent poles. The first one launched yesterday, the second one will be in July, and the third will be in the fall. We did seven pieces of content on different companies talking to the data scientists, talking to their CTOs, chief digital officers, those types of senior level executives driving strategies to better understand how their businesses are going to capitalize on understanding their customer data and applying that in a practical real world way, not the hypothetical way Mm -hmm. that we read so much about that in the future but how these companies are literally applying it to today's world. So PayPal, Stitch Fix, US Bank were a couple of them in the first one in, in the first episode or issue. Phenomenal program, very tightly integrated in our partnership, working with them, working with them at the highest levels of the marketing organization and now the executive level to best understand how they wanted to project themselves, the types of audiences they wanted to be speaking to, and how Forbes, because we have those people, could assemble a content-based program Mm -hmm. to be able to get those people, those types of eyeballs in front of this content. How is this different from regular sponsored content that you you might have been doing five years ago? Yeah, it is. It's a a variation of that. It's It's an evolution. There's been the straight sponsorships, and we still do that, and we do that very well. We have a lot of franchises, whether it's the Forbes 30 Under 30 or the Forbes 400 or Billionaires mm-hmm. List. Those are edit calendared 
editorial temp holes that we still do sell sponsorships to. And people want that. People come there because that's what our brand is known for. That's uh, you know where audiences are already already amassed. Mm-hmm. These custom type programs that are very, very top, you know, the topics are very specific. Those are attractive. Brands, especially these types of B2B brands, these mm-hmm. financial services brands that have a very affluent audience that we, we do quite a bit with, right. they need to be in specific environments where you're providing real information, usually actionable information that will help people in their professional lives or in their personal investment lives be able to achieve more. Yeah. And so our ability to work and, and our content solutions team is pretty dynamic right now. It does both editorial sponsorships, which they then work with the editors and they do it. And it's got all the editorial purity to be able to bring Forbes quality content into an environment that you can then sell a sponsorship around. Yeah. Or there's the branded content solutions where you can create all kinds of branded environments yeah. where the brands have more of an input and a say in the actual content itself. Very different but very attractive in both areas. Yeah, and it's a different sell, right? I mean, like you're not, you don't have a sales team, I would guess, out there trying to sell display ad campaigns. We do. However, you know, those typically come smaller price point. They're more in the buying cycles of, you know, quarter to quarter. They're they're not usually as big of a program. So why isn't that programmatic at this point? Like, That's, I mean, are you really doing IO based like display sales? Yeah. Because there's still a market for still, that. Yeah, <laughs> if people got money. Yeah, you know, when the, the RFPs guess, come and yeah. you can't not do it. And, and by the way, it does serve as a great opportunity to prove yourself to different brands and hopefully then lead to bigger discussion. Right. Most but you want of fewer, big, bigger, right? I mean, like, do. I mean, like, of course. You're going to have large numbers of people who come in through programmatic and like, You'll do some mark, open marketplace, I would guess, but you know, there's there's more people who want to go into these like programmatic guaranteed or you know the private marketplaces where they can easily transact, you know, for those kind of you know heavy lifting display campaigns. That's right, and and actually, we have a lot of our top clients who do buy us on an IO basis and some of these idea based and sponsorship programs who are also buying significant amounts yeah. of inventory through programmatic guarantee. It could be different people buying it. It typically is, um, but it's the same brands. And so yeah. you see that a lot of these partners will buy through both of those channels. And, and programmatic yeah. guarantee has been, from a, a growth perspective, a real big surprise this year. It's far exceeding at this point in the year what our expectations were. Now, I know your next question is, are changed? we working off of a low base? <laughs> well, that <laughs> and, is, you have listened to past podcasts. I listened to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and and yes, it is coming off of a, of a lower base, well, of course. Well, product guaranteed but, is like the year of mobile. I mean, it's been predicted for a few years now, so maybe it seems it, like it's, it's happening. happening. It's finally happening. Uh, yeah. What do you think? I mean, that's just, I guess it's driven by the market maturing a little bit um, and also just maybe some reaction to all the the brand safety concerns out there. Well, and it's just the ease of execution. Yeah. Typically, you know, we're starting to see programmatic guarantee. It was what you would normally see in more of an IO based buy. Now, most of them are significantly bigger. And as these brands are looking to be able to have bigger impact with their with these campaigns, they can spend a significant amount of money using that channel 
reaching a huge audience and obviously having all of the controls that, yeah. that they need on the back end. So we're seeing that the average order size on the programmatic guarantee side is way up from where it had been in the past. But with the weight going to these ideas-led campaigns, has that changed your sales force? Yes. And, and how exactly? So everything is really about a top account strategy. And we do a lot of analyzing of the top 25, top 50, top 100 accounts, and specifically how many platforms of ours are they buying from us? Because if they're buying into the Forbes brand, they're buying into the Forbes audiences that we're able to segment for them through the respective channels, then there's clearly an opportunity to say, you're a big partner with us in these two platforms. You should be thinking about how we can extend that into mm-hmm. some of these other platforms. So that's a KPI, if you will. I hate, I hate <laughs> to See, you guys suck me into using all these acronyms. But I mean, like you want people to move across the different like platforms, obviously. That's right. And, and a lot of them have great extensions from one into the other. I can give you a couple of examples. Somebody does a custom research report for CIOs. We have a CIO event part of an activation of a sponsorship at our CIO summit should be them in a thought leadership position sharing the key takeaways of that research report. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, that research report should also be converted into different types of posts that can then be distributed on our digital website or different social assets that we can distribute through the social right. platforms into LinkedIn and other environments. So now more and more, it's how do you take these concepts or the ideas and the execution of these programs and extend it into right. the other platforms? So, I mean, I, I'm interested in how that changes your, your sales force exactly, because, um, it's different than going out and selling a campaign saying we've got we've got an issue coming up we've got pages to sell i mean i'm obviously oversimplifying yeah. or even like you know hey we've got we've got a website we've got sections we've got things to sell um, versus moving people across platforms and ideas so how do you organize in order to um, get the best of both worlds. Yeah. This has been a a multi-year strategy that we've been focused on this. So it doesn't just happen overnight. The team itself, and and to give you a good example, a few years ago, we referred to it as the media team because Mm -hmm. media was the big driver and that was direct sold digital and print, right? Yeah. Ads. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we refer to that team as the integrated sales team. And they cut across all platforms. They need. But do you have a different group that does the quote unquote ideas? We have a team that works with the sales team. Yes, yeah. an integrated marketing team, a sales development team that works with them to develop those ideas that they then take out. So then that salesperson who has an account is really driving the conversation around, we've got an opportunity, right. here's how it elegantly plays out across the different platforms, here's our recommendation on how to execute. Okay, so um, one thing that you didn't mention was how you're gonna have a big digital um, subscription business like because you're instituting a paywall. Yeah. Why haven't we talked about that yet? So. You'll never hear from us <laughs> that we're pivoting to anything. Okay. <laughs> and every year there's a thing that you could pivot to. Um, there's obviously real big business here, and we continue to see the numbers for the public yeah. companies who share them, and there are successes that exist out there. 
we New York Times is doing okay. Yep, and as of this recording, those numbers just came out, and it looks like they had another another good increase. So yeah. they're probably the the ultimate success story yeah. in terms of the scale that they've been able to achieve, and they're doing an amazing job, and they've got a great product for it. We're not in the breaking news space. We don't actually actively chase breaking news and, and write about the news as it's occurring. We're more of an analysis website. So we don't necessarily feel at present, now I'll never say never, but at present, the conversation for us isn't about standing up a paywall on Forbes.com. We've got these other businesses that are growing beautifully. We've achieved great scale. And I know some of yeah. the thoughts around scale as well, but scale is great when you've got a site like ours that allows you to segment into sea mm-hmm. level executives, small business owners, 30 under 30 community, um, high net worth investors who also happen to spend money on luxury goods. So we've got these different models. We've got the platforms where we're seeing growth in our content solutions with Brand Voice and Insights. We're seeing growth in live. We've got this new growth team to do the Skunk Works incubation of new businesses. They're all working right now. And so basically what you would sack, because like, look, everything is a, everything's a trade-off, right? So yeah. you could do a Bloomberg-style um, paywall that, I mean, it's 10 articles, right? I mean, so like maybe you take like a 25% haircut on, on your, on your ad inventory, but you're saying that it's not worth, it's not worth that haircut for. Right. Right now we've made the decision that it's not part of the current plan, but again, never say never. I think it's going to be really interesting over the course of the next year to see how everybody does. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, Apple News Plus, now on the scene, too early to tell, it's out there. Lots and lots of publishers are, are standing up paywalls with different types of metered systems. I think everybody's testing it. I've heard many of the people on this podcast yeah. say that it's, it's a moving target at all times. In a year from now, it'll be interesting to see how many of them have been able to build up a large enough subscriber base that it can sustain and be the growth behind their business. Yeah. And I could be totally wrong. And, and look- And it's not found money. Again, it's like you are making a trade-off. You are going to have a smaller audience against which to sell ads, which is the core business for many of these companies. That's right. And you need to make an investment. You, to acquire yeah. customers is not just going to happen organically. So there's the trade-off and the investment. And you know, with the rare exception of a few, there aren't too many- great success stories out there right now. So doesn't mean it won't play out. It might. Yeah. But for us at the moment, it's just not the strategy. Yeah, I always think that like the, the high end of the market with the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Journal, I guess, like FT, like, yes. Um, and the sort of very focused, like Digiday and That's uh, right. various other players. Um, but it's always the question about those sort of in between that aren't like... Um, pure like business expense and are not like those few that have gotten like escape velocity. That's right. That's um, right. And, and, and helped by Trump, let's face it. Yeah, well, you're, exactly. And so, you know, I would say you may differ my point of view. I don't think that that's us. Um, you know, I think that we've got a tremendous brand with a tremendous global footprint. We have a business model that's working. The revenue diversification strategy right now is solid and the performance has been good. So we are focusing on that. Um, The one area though, that's interesting where we have had 
a monthly recurring revenue strategy. And we've had it for six or seven years now is on our brand voice product. Right. We have an- You sell tenancy, right? At least you used to. That's exactly right. For a monthly flat fee, a brand will be authorized to be able to log into the CMS and self-publish their mm-hmm. content. We've this got, was heresy. Heresy It, it was. Time. I've got the headlines. <laughs> I have a slide that I show at industry trade uh, you know, conferences where we just got crushed by the trades when we allowed this to happen. Then I have a second slide that was a few years after that that was talking about all the benefits to the publishers of, of taking this strategy well, and building studios. Well, there were some bumps along the way. I mean, of let's course. face it. Well, um, you, you can't go first or early with not, without having to suffer a little bit of the, the backlash that comes with it. And, and it was disruptive times for the industry, for sure. At that point, print was still reigning supreme and digital had mm-hmm. not yet fully taken off. So not only was it more of a digital play, it was a branded content in digital play. So it was, it was definitely not without its bumps along the way, but I think we're stronger for it. We now have nine years of institutional knowledge of how to work with brands on how to be their best publishers. Oh, and by the way, our editorial team, we've now got over a million pieces of, of Forbes editorial content that's in our CMS that our product team and our data scientists are now tracking, they're evaluating, and they're building tools, AI tools, into our CMS that's actually helping people who are using our CMS, a custom-built CMS that we call Birdie, as a little nod to our founder, BC, uh, BC Forbes from 102 years ago. But um, the AI tools are, are now being informed by a million pieces of content and growing by 300 a day that helps these writers become better by being able to help them with headline optimization, SEO optimization, where and when and what images or videos to insert into a piece, mm-hmm. giving them better diagnostics on their content so that they can constantly be improving. And our brand voice partners who are paying that site license get all of those benefits and can use the platform to write the best possible content that they can. And, and how many um, how many brands are in brand voice now? So the there's multiple products in brand voice, if you will. There's the always on model, which at any point in time is about 12 to 15 brands. Then you've got people who do more of an a la carte model with your kind of traditional web post. We've got video programs. We've got now a suite of of products that we call our premium suite. It's premium posts. So it's a new highly designed page. It's intended to be multimedia. The the things that people do. Um, It was really birthed out of last year, about a year and a half ago, our editorial team launched a product called the Daily Cover Story. Of course, Forbes, we're notorious. I want to be on the cover of Forbes. There's been great value. It's an ultimate sign of success for you to be on the cover. Print, you don't publish as many issues a year as you used to. Mm -hmm. So we now, our editorial team, every day of the week, publishes what they call a daily cover story. But that needed a much more premium template to be able to publish so that for us to have that brand, that depth of journalism that would go into a cover story and to be displayed digitally... So they created that product. We've now taken that product, this premium post, and applied it to our brand voice offering and our insights uh, Mm -hmm. content offering. 
with that, you, it's got a lot of flexibility. You could do a single post, you could do a series of posts. If you get over eight to 10 posts or more, then we create these hubs that they would all live in, all very, very um, rich in the design, rich in terms of the amount of content and the multimedia assets that you could put in there. So it's been a real big success story in just a short period of time. So brand voice is is not just one thing. It's got yeah. a lot of products that fit in there. Um, so final thing is, um, I have to ask about print. Yep. What what is the role right now um, for the print product, and then what do you see it being in in five years? Yeah. So so print for us, of course, there there is that credibility, that status symbol of being on the cover of Forbes. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely our front door to our the cover brand. cover, not a digital the, cover. The cover cover. Okay. Yes, the tangible physical product. It is a big part of our identity and the credibility and the authority that we have. There is still this very ironic thing that happens in the marketplace. Our editors tell us all the time, they'll reach out to somebody about doing a story and the first thing that they'll say is, yeah. is this going to be in the magazine? Is this going to be on the cover? And so they're, they're still... And it can be the most digitally minded, like, you know, company. Well, the irony, the ironic part about it is many of their companies don't run print advertising any longer, yeah. but for their interview, that's where they want to be. So we're actually doing a reimagination of the magazine. We just actually saw the, the mock-ups today. The new issue that's coming out in June, which is our women's issue, will be the first version of it. We still are continuing to invest in the evolution of how it looks, yeah. what the experience is. It's tangible, so it's a, it's a real experience for people. And in different markets, it has um, different resonance um, because... Um, I mean, we always assume every market is is the same, but I it's mean, not. you know that as a global brand. I yeah. mean, it's 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 varied. I mean, you go you go to some markets in Europe, and you know the median age is like forty eight, and you go to yeah, some yeah. in in Africa, and it's like seventeen. That's right. That's um, right. And, and the it, habits are different. And it's you know when you think about our global licensees, we do publish a Forbes Asia version. That's a pan-regional in English that serves as sort of the, the backstop for a lot of our local partners. So it still plays a role in our brand, our brand identity, the authority that we have as a business finance affluent consumer product. From a business perspective, of course, we're facing the same challenges that any other publisher is on the economics mm-hmm. of, of a magazine. So how do you make the economics work? Is, is that, I mean, like, I kind of get the economics when it's like tied to like a 30 under 30 franchise that you can make money off of in so many different ways. That's right. So the, so the franchises become key, of course. And Forbes has been known for its lists, but in a, in a credible, there's real metrics and numbers crutching and, and research and, and reporting. Not like, not like all the other lists. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but, but it is. And, and in a lot of different areas, uh, you know, Forbes will be referenced in the ultimate measure of the world's billionaires and any sports valuations. If you ever see a number against a team, that's from us. Yeah. Um, the under 30 list, of well, course. Well, told us that Trump was a billionaire, but. Well, no. Win we, some, you lose some. We told you that when he claimed nine million, <laughs> that he was worth just over three, and we've always challenged him. And we've had, we published an article yesterday that went back to 1990, referencing that we actually took him off of one of our lists 
um, retrospectively, as we did deeper investigation into his numbers and were able to prove back then that he was actually in the red. I know. Yeah, and, and you know, for we we like to think that, and and if you look at at his coverage and other, you know, we're we're not getting the Trump bump in terms of covering the day to day news flow. Yeah, we're keeping him honest or doing our best in terms of you know this whole net worth thing and. You know, as that's one of our our core pillars, and you know, it's our responsibility to do it. Otherwise, the list just wouldn't have much credibility. Okay, Mark, thank you. So great to see you, Brian. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Didi Sangal. If you liked our show, please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, also, you can always email me. I'm Brian at digiday.com or tweet at me. I'm at bmarcy. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with a new episode.